Thus we have lost our unifying core, the vision of our Lord exalted, and devote our dearest energies and time to things which little benefit or bind us. Competition is our watchword, and this keeps us busy at distinguishing our church or views or liturgy or style of worship from the other churches in our town, and so on, all around the world. Welcome to the Inverse Theology Project. I'm your host, T.M. Moore. This is Volume 22, Number 4, Systematic Theology. Previously, in this Systematic Theology Department, we began a conversation on the unity, or lack thereof, that characterizes the Church of Jesus Christ in our day. Our lack of unity makes it difficult for the world to take us seriously. They see us only as a pale and undesirable reflection of the jealousies, antagonisms, competition, and shallowness of the world in which they already live. They have no need or desire for more of the same, even though it may be dressed up in the garb of religion. We introduced the word assimilation, but did not detail its meaning. We'll circle around to that in this installment, which is part two of a series entitled The Law of Sin in the Church. Old words and old ways, we are all too quick to let them go. A kind of Gresham's law of language and experience takes hold, a current in the ever-blowing wind of history, so that we look for that which is a little easier or more convenient, although the speaking of it isn't quite as eloquent as what we thus let fall, nor does it have the same power to connote. And if we find that we can do so much more with the new way than the old, although the old shows greater care and patience, craft and satisfaction, we turn sail into the winds of change, as if mere change were our appointed course in life. As many new words, phrases, thoughts, ideas, philosophies, and worldviews glance our sails, we want to sample every one, to see what's new. Likewise, with all the disciplines of life and work, of fashion, culture, taste, and even how we build the church, we want whatever proves the newest and the best, debasing as we go both life and speech, to serve the deities of relevance, efficiency, convenience, or mere sloth. In Christian circles, this means busyness at the expense of contemplation, change instead of patient waiting, listening to the clamor of the times and its demands as much, if not more, than the Word of God. Thus we have lost our unifying core, the vision of our Lord exalted, and devote our dearest energies and time to things which little benefit or bind us. Competition is our watchword, and this keeps us busy at distinguishing our church or views or liturgy or style of worship from the other churches in our town, and so on all around the world. Which is to say, there are no Marys in our midst, for we're all Marthas now, engaged in frenzied labors of all sorts to meet the needs of everyone we hope to count among our own ranks. We have sold ourselves to numbers and forget the only one the Word of God instructed us to seek, our unity. One Lord, one body, one hope, one baptism, one continuous care for one another, and one kingdom. We have lost our common vision, that alone which can dissolve all disagreements, melt all fears, absolve all wrongs, and forge new bonds of peace among us. And we little seem to care. The winds of change assault our sails, and if we do not give them sheet, we pride ourselves, locked in our own such winds, that we are not like them. 
but hold fast to the new old words and the ways that made us look askance at other brethren in the first place. And we tell ourselves our ways are better than both every old new way and all the new ways currently afoot. Thus we have lost our focus on him who is ever new and who is ever making all things new according to his word. For he alone is new. New is defined by him. Whatever he has said is new. How he himself has shown us to pursue his kingdom and to build his church is new. We set aside that which is truly and forever new when hungering more for relevance than Christ. We disregard the words and ways that we consider old and glom on to the next new thing that everyone is rushing to. Our common panting after change is all the world sees in which we are all alike. Our lust for change is driven by the hope of being relevant and up-to-date, more so, we hope, than other churches, or if not more so, at least, enough to keep us from decline and the appearance of irrelevance, the dread death rattle of a congregation. Although no one seems to ask the question, relevant to what? Unless our answer is to Jesus, we no relevance of any lasting worth possessed to offer anyone. We choose to spin up some new surefire effort or approach to this or that than to be still and know our God, to seek out in his face the glory that alone can make us more like him and thereby make us one. And when we come to him, it's to remind him of the many efforts we are making in his name, to vaunt our industry and plead for more resources and more help that we might even greater labors undertake to bring his blessings to the world. Thus, while he bids us sit and gaze and be transformed, to meld as one within the wonder of his patient love, that we might fill our world, not with our doctrines or distinctives, but with him, we bustle on with scant regard for his desire for unity, but for our own best entertainments only. And we fail to notice that the harder we apply ourselves to our agenda, all the more the world is unpersuaded and goes looking elsewhere for the meaning, hope, and purpose that it cannot live without. The one true needful thing denied, at best but dabbled in, we find the needy world no longer needs or wants what we propose. Perhaps an old word resurrected might awaken us to what we are about to lose amid the rising flood of lies. We'll understand assimilation best if we compare it with its opposite, assimilation. This implies to take in, understand, absorb, and integrate one thing into another. This is what our Lord intends for us, that we might have so rich a fellowship with him that we partake of his eternal and divine essential being. We are called to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, to be changed, to be more like him, both as individuals and as flocks and as one church. For every church in its community embodies Jesus and must seek to increase in him. Likewise, each believer must see Jesus growing in him in his old ways set aside, that all things might be new. Reflecting to the world the truth of Jesus, risen from the dead and reigning at the Father's right hand. Thus we are to seek assimilation, to be more and more transformed, to be like him who tells us he is making all things new. We must make progress in our faith and work out our salvation, pressing on to be like Jesus. And this goes for churches just as much as for believers. We must set our minds on Jesus, 
daily have our hearts renewed in him and set his law and all his word alone as arbiter of all we think, plan, long for, hope to realize or to achieve in every aspect of our lives as well as in our churches. Yet the law of sin that lingers in the soul of each believer lingers in the church as well and is an obstacle to keep us from our calling to God's kingdom and his glory. Sin's preferred approach to turn us from the path of righteousness is not to wrench us violently from our way, but rather gently to insinuate ideas, possibilities, and goals that can be made to sound like progress in the Lord, but which in fact lead us to seek things other than assimilation in him and his truth. And then we start to drift. And drift is what assimilation warns against, for drift is subtle. Drift is smooth and takes a long time to be recognized, and by the time it is, it's looked upon as normal. We can drift in many ways at once, assimilating from the Lord and taking on the likeness of the world until the fabric of our lives in Christ is rent and torn and frayed like some old flag disintegrating in contrary winds. We see the colors that say Christian or the church, but they are not as bright as they might be, and all that fraying threatens to dissolve the unity we once enjoyed. Absimilation is the work of sin, and we are fraying by it in our day. Visit our website, www.ilba.org, to discover the wealth of resources available to help you grow in your walk with and work for the Lord. Next, in Volume 22 of the Inverse Theology Project, we turn to practical theology for a fuller definition of the word work and why it is so important to our lives as followers of Christ. Until then, for the Fellowship of Alba and the Inverse Theology Project, this is T.M. Moore.